I'd like you to imagine that it's not 10 past 10 on a Sunday morning, but that it's next Saturday night and it's dark outside. You are on the high street just outside the church, not alone, with friends and family, and of course the rest of the village. All stood there, maybe a yummy cup of hot chocolate served by the outreach group in your hand, awaiting for the procession to arrive. And it's tight on that pavement with so many people there. And there's the odd jostle, the odd jolt as the parade gets a little bit closer. Everyone wants to see. No one wants to push. Nobody wants to be heaving into other people, and you don't want pushed. We are a civilized place here in Lindfield. It's not Lewis, you know. We are nice and genteel, and we stand there, but yet there's the odd bit of bumping going on as people try to squeeze through, as people try to get a glimpse of a torch held high. Every now and again, there's a touch. And it's the same in any crowd. If you've ever been to a rock concert, where you're tightly packed in, especially down the front, or maybe on the tube at rush hour. As you try and get in there, there's a bit of, oh, I'll just get a bit of space here myself. You don't want to touch, but sometimes it just happens. Our passage this morning has a crowd, and it has a bit of touching going on. Only some of our touches are deliberate. Jesus had recently been traveling in a Gentile area. He'd been the other side of Galilee, but now he has returned to the West to a Jewish community, a community that meets in a synagogue, that offers sacrifice to God. And a crowd of these people surround the Lord as he tries to make his way to the home of Jairus. Jairus is the leader or ruler of the local synagogue. He is a respected man. He is a man who would have been entrusted by the elders with ensuring that the building was fit for worship. That's his job. His job was not necessarily to lead praise, though he may have done that on occasion. But his job was to see that good order was maintained. And so he was a man of God. But he has come to Jesus because he believes that Jesus can do something 
which he cannot. He longs that the Lord Jesus may end the suffering of his daughter, that he may bring healing to the sickness, that he might make a major change in their family life, bringing hope where there is currently great distress. Whoever we are, there are things that in our strength we are not able to do. There are times that however hard we might try, we cannot change the situation. No person would be able to change it. We might have a burden. It might be that we are sick. We might know of someone else who is ill. And what we have to do is turn to Jesus and ask that he may bring the healing and the wholeness that is required. He can make a difference. Jesus agreed to respond to this man's petition. And so they walk, and the crowd go along. And there's many, many people, each wanting to see a miracle. They go to see the signs and wonders of Jesus and ponder whether these amazing stories that they have been hearing are true. Are we going to see a magic act? Are we going to see something incredible? They've been waiting for him. And now it's their turn to see something. Yet there is one in the crowd that does not simply want to see, but needs to touch. Because she needs healing for herself. The woman, we are told, has had a bleed for the past 12 years. Now, the number 12 is one of those special numbers in the Bible. It indicates not just that it's been a long time, and it has been a long time for this woman, but 12 is also a measure of God's community. Last week, as we met here, we thought about the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men, plus women and children. But however many were there, at the end of it, baskets were gathered. And it was 12 baskets. An indication that God's provision is for the whole tribe of Israel. No one is to be excluded. The offer of hope is for all. But here we have a woman who has been excluded for 12 years. 12 years she will have been considered unclean. 12 years when she could not go to the synagogue, which Jivas looked after. Twelve years where, within the family life, 
she would not have been touched. Twelve years of separation, a long time. And the crowd that are there all jostling and pushing each other would have been repulsed if they had been if they had known that she was in their midst. And she would have felt ashamed if they had known of her affliction. But she has to go because Jesus is her only hope. She wants her world to change. And so she dares to be there. She seeks Jesus and longs for a touch. And she doesn't want to tell Jesus what the issue is. We often have stories of people coming and telling what they need healed for. People coming forward, blind, lame, lepers. But this woman has a deeply personal issue. And it needs to be healed too. And so rather than asking for the touch, she reaches out. She approaches. And in all this jostling about, she puts her hand out. And it's just another touch on him. I wonder as we meet here this morning, what is the thing in our lives that we would not want made public? What is the thing that we'd prefer to keep secret, maybe personal, maybe within our families? What's the sin that keeps us from coming close to God? What's the difficulty in our health that is just an embarrassment, perhaps, to us? What creates separation from the relationship that Jesus offers? What do we need putting right? What do we need to reach out and touch Jesus for? The crowd jostles because they're there wanting entertainment. But she comes close to Jesus because she wants to be healed. Are we like that broken woman? We come because we know only God can heal us. Only God can bring wholeness. Only God can change our lives and forgive the sin, forgive the difficulty, change our health, change our understanding. As the rest of the crowd bumped into Jesus, nothing happened to them. And although Jesus was aware that they were all bumping into him, he didn't think anything of it. And nor did the disciples. Look, everybody's here. Everybody's surrounding you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus knows that power has gone out. 
many had made a bump in that melee. But they all deny touching him. The woman of faith, however, has made a deliberate reach. Her faith has made her well. And although she was probably not expecting his reaction, because she'd wanted to be anonymous, she now has to give her testimony. She might not have gone and said, I want healing for this thing, but she ends up having to tell the story anyway of what has brought her to this point. She's forced to speak in public. And Jesus acknowledges who she is. And although it might have made the crowd feel uncomfortable, the outcast is healed, and she becomes part of them. It might not have been what the crowd was expecting to see. They didn't see anything. But they are left with the challenge of how to respond to the woman who is now very visibly present among them. Will they accept her? Will they accept this healing? Or will they still treat her as unclean, an untouchable presence? And of course, with this incident occurring, with Jesus stopping and asking questions, with the woman giving testimony, time has ticked on. And as that time has passed, Jairus' daughter has gone from being sick to being dead. It would have been easy when the messenger came for a blame game to develop. For people to have accused the woman of preventing the child from being saved. If only Jesus had got there on time, then maybe the girl wouldn't have died. If only Jesus hadn't got there, had got there on time, not been stopped on the way. If only Jesus had got there, isn't that what Mary and Martha say when Lazarus is in the tomb? And how many times do we ourselves say, if only something had been different, then that thing would never have happened? If only. But those things have happened. And sometimes, although that thing has happened and it's not the thing we want, something different will come out. Might be a different testimony. It might be a different hope. It might be a different path of life. It might be a, a new assurance. It might be that somebody else was saved from a difficult position. 
No if only is spoken here. There's no blame. Indeed, if he got there sooner, not only would we not have had the outcast healed, but the incredible miracle that is about to happen might not have been as big a surprise. The message reaches Jairus to stop wasting Jesus' time. Leave him alone. Let him get on with these things. Maybe he will go and heal somebody else. Whatever you are going through, however great or small, whether it's a physical thing or an emotional issue, when you turn to him in your hour of need, you are not wasting the Lord's time. You might think it's a tiny thing. Why should I bother praying about that? But actually, the Lord wants to hear what's on your heart. The Lord wants to hear what your concern is, what you're worried about whether it's employment or health or schoolwork or college, about the commute, about the difficulty your neighbor is facing, the Lord wants to hear it, and he will respond. He doesn't always respond in the way we expect, but prayer is answered. The messenger felt the situation was beyond redemption. The girl is dead. What hope for her? What hope for Jivas? What hope for the synagogue leader's wife? The girl is dead. But the delay has introduced a new dimension. What level of faith does Jairus have? Is he still willing to trust? Jesus says, believe. Believe. Those who live for Christ and seek his ways know that even in death there is hope. There is hope always hope thanks to the great love of the one who suffered and died for us. Jesus journeys onwards, and although the crowd still follows on, they're left outside. They are not going to see what happens. The purpose of the miracle will not be entertainment. It will be life. The mourners there are professionals. They are paid to weep and groan. This will not have been the first body that they've seen, not even the first body of a young child. They'll have seen many before. They know death 
and all that comes with death. And they laugh at the concept of her being asleep. This is a 12-year-old girl, a child from the community of God's holy people, the daughter of the synagogue leader, a young person known probably in the whole village. And now, she is like the bleeding woman earlier, considered unclean and not to be touched. But in private and with a few faithful friends, a few faithful believers, Jesus does touch. He holds her hand and commands her to rise, and she does. The girl's life is returned, and she is given food to give back strength, but which has food which has a second purpose. Like Jesus eating the broiled fish when he appears to the disciples in the locked room on the evening of his resurrection. It demonstrates that she is alive. It's not a ghost, it's not an image, it's not a spirit, it's a girl, and she is alive, and she can eat. And the family and friends are delighted and astounded, astounded. But yet, they say, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet from those that were unfaithful and didn't seek it, didn't seek God's power, didn't seek healing, but simply wanted to be entertained. The crowd will be left to wonder the truth of it all. And instead of the synagogue leader's testimony, they will have to ponder about the woman who had been unclean or the stories reaching them from beyond the Sea of Galilee. But it is when, with faith, faith like that woman, or faith like Jairus, that we come, that we will discover that God's love can open the door to new life. Whatever the situation, whatever the pain, whatever the struggle, nothing is impossible. No one is beyond redemption. There is always hope because Jesus gives new life. Amen.